addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. Vaccinating children who are eligible will reduce the spread of COVID-19 to these groups. As an infectious diseases physician who has seen the impact of this deadly virus on thousands of patients over the last two years, my best advice to everyone who is eligible to get the vaccine is to do so in order to protect yourself and your loved ones from the continued spread of this virus. I've got a few guests and stuff tonight, so I'm glad you could join us. This is Yona Bud here on Road to Recovery. Had a little bit of a technical glitch there. Sorry. Uh, we're back in business now. Thank you for uh, choosing us. We know you have other choices, and we're glad you could choose 640 this evening for your listening pleasure. Lots to do, so hang in there. Strap into your seat. Get on the bus here. We do take a break at uh, 10 o'clock, so you can get off the bus, go get something to eat, use the bathroom, and come back. Otherwise, uh, keep uh, keep your hands in the wi- in from the windows, and uh, let's uh, pay attention to what's going on here. I'm in the studio tonight with Sophia. She's going to handle the board, and Devon and Natasha uh, are going to be taking calls. First call we'd like to take from you tonight. That's how you do that, 416-870-6400, or if you're out of the area, 888-225-TALK, which is 8255. I want to talk to you about va- vaccinating your kids. This is something you're about to do, not about to do, worried about, not worried about. I know a lot of parents have some serious anxiety around uh, vaccinating their children. I guess the same kind of stuff they felt uh, about getting their own needle, except the difference is now you're making a decision for somebody else. It's different than when you're making it for yourself, right? Make a decision for yourself. You're empowered to make the decision. But when you're making a decision for a loved one, a child, or an elderly person who you have uh, the control over because of whatever illness they may have, and making decisions for others is not the same is making a decision for ourselves. So if you're feeling guilty, you're not sure, should I, shouldn't I, you know, you're hearing all kinds of stuff, we figured we'd spend a little bit of time here uh, in this first segment to talk about sort of kind of what the risks are, and we would love to hear from you. I know Devon and Natasha are standing by waiting for your call, 416-870-6400. You planning to get your kids vaccinated? If so, I'd love to hear from you. If you're not planning to get your kids vaccinated, love to hear from you as well. So Health Canada approved the COVID-19 vaccine for children now age 5 to 11 uh, this past Friday or so. I think this article is probably a week old, so uh, we could go Friday. It's very good news for adults and children alike. Um, all the medical advisors with Health Canada uh, shared that on, the, on November 19th. Uh, it provides another tool to protect Canadians and to the relief of many parents will help bring back a degree of normalty um, Normality, excuse me, to children's lives, allowing them to more safely do the things that they've missed during the past 20 months and so on. But what are the real risks for kids? Okay, let's understand what the risks are if you're a person who believes in uh, vaccinations as opposed to those that may not. We'd love to hear from you either way. 416-870-6400. Give us a call about vaccinating your children. Uh, So children and youth are less likely to get any serious illness from COVID-19. Like they don't get, they're not going to get really sick, generally speaking, but they can still get sick or have the virus virus without any symptoms, spread it to others and experience long-term effects if they do get infected. So we're now learning about something called long COVID. Uh, we actually see it in people who may not even have, uh, you know, uh, detectable uh, um, symptoms. But in fact, there's this long COVID thing that we're seeing later uh, and it's impacting a lot of people. We'll get to that another time. Children are also susceptible to a rare but serious complication called multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, where various organs like the kidneys, heart, and lungs can begin uh, become inflamed. That's if they get 
COVID-19. So children with underlying medical conditions might be at the higher risk of complications from CV-19, although it's very rare. Some children have died after contracting it, but very, very, very rare. Uh, Studies across Canada have shown uh, there's been a few hundred kids hospitalized for either acute COVID-19 or a multi-system inflammatory syndrome, um, which is a dysregulated uh, dysregulated immune response that produces high inflammatory, uh, highly inflammatory state. That's according to Jesse Pattenberg. He's uh, with uh, Montreal's Children's Hospital at the McGill uh, University Health Center. So the vaccination is slightly different for kids than it is for adults. So with the uh, Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, which is known as uh, Comirnaty, it's now approved by Health Canada for ages of 5 to 11. However, the formulas are slightly different for the pediatric dose than um given to the children aged up to f- up to 11. And the adult dose for people 12 and over. So we'll get into this section here a little bit about, you know, what if the kid's on the cusp between 11 and 12 and how's that going to impact things? Anyway, most importantly, the adult dose, um, just so you know, contains 30 micro uh, micrograms of the mRNA um, vaccine, where the pediatric dose just has 10 micrograms. So it's a much smaller dose. Uh, very slight variation, actually, as well in the non-medical ingredients. So it's improved stability in smaller doses. So they had to change some of the the, the non-medical ingredients to to keep the vaccine buoyant um, in a smaller dose. Uh, it's not. There's no clinical uh, difference, so to speak, as they say. Um, has it been tested? How has it been tested? Well. A lot of parents just say, well, I don't want to give my kids a vaccine that we hardly know anything about. Well, <clears throat> trust me that I believe they've done a fair amount of research, uh, enough, like years of it. Of course not, because we're in the middle of a, a disastrous situation. We've got to move it along pretty quickly. But um, we're finding that uh, kids do very well, that it's been tested. Uh, they've tested in children under twenty, uh, under 12. Uh, they first the, they first received their doses in March of 2021. The first phase of the study, they tested various doses, strengths, and so on. Of the 2,268 children, um, they uh, the children received two doses 21 days apart and did quite well. The study found that at the beginning of one of one week after the second dose, that the vaccine was 90 percent affected at protect effective at protecting trial participants. Uh, from COVID-19. No serious side effects were reported as well. So the recommended dosage and the recommended schedule is that children get two shots spaced eight weeks apart. Um, They should also get the vaccine um, no sooner than 14 days, 14 days between any other vaccine. So I'm, uh, I've got my flu vaccine, so I need to wait two weeks. I also got my uh, my other vaccine for, uh, for uh, what is it? Shingles as well. So I got to wait, excuse me, 14 days between the time I've got my flu and, and uh, my flu vaccine before I can get my third shot. Um, they should um, they should definitely uh, get um, the vaccine if they even if they've had COVID. Uh, it just improves their immunity. What are the side effects from the vaccine? Well, you know, headache, muscle ache, and the soreness in the arm, uh, and so on. The side effects go away a couple of days later. Side effects like. Um, uh, there are some rare side effects in children in, 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 in older age groups, uh, but haven't seen anything in, um, in children. Uh, myocarditis, myocarditis is one of them. It's an inflammation of the heart. We don't see that in kids at all through the trials. So, you know, if my child already had COVID, should they get vaccinated 100%? Have an 11 year old, should they get the pediatric vaccine? Well, in fact, some kids may get the pediatric vaccine at 11, and if they're 12, they turn 12 before the next vaccine, they would get the adult vaccine for the second shot. Um, people are asking questions whether they believe it should be mandatory at school. 
really hoping to hear from uh, some callers this evening to let us know their thoughts on it. Um, but research showed that 11-year-olds who received the smaller pediatric doses had a robust immune system almost immediately, so within the week. Um, how do you get them? How do you get your child vaccinated? You go online to one of the portals, and um, and you're able to uh, book an appointment. You know, listen, we're living in a world where we're not sure really about anything as it relates to this this the this virus and new variants. Now that we're finding all kinds of new studies around the variants coming out of South Africa all of a sudden, so you got to stay on top of it. And I really think that the key is if there's something available that can help you and your family uh, do better during this time, then um, certainly, my family's vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. I believe my grandchildren will be vaccinated. Um, I would vaccinate my little doggy if we could, <laughs> but um, he actually he hates needles too. And you know, it's not like something I look forward to. I don't look forward to the, to the injection itself. But listen, man, you got to do the same thing with the shingles thing. And you know, I'm at an age where that could really mess me up. So I'm all over it, doing what I can to uh, take care of myself and my family. Hopefully, you're doing the same. When we come back, we're going to talk about comparing kids. Oh, my God, I have three brothers. I constantly got compared to them, um, not necessarily in a nice way. When we come back, we're going to figure out how that messed me up and, in fact, could mess up a whole bunch of other kids, too. Yonabud, 640 Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Hey, this is Yona. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. You're on the Road to Recovery. We appreciate you joining us this evening. You know, you should always be more like the guy next door. And how come you haven't been like Billy on down the street? And how come, you know, you know that kid up the street, you know, that, that George kid, he's like, he's such a nice boy and his parents are so lovely. And why can't you be more like him? Or why can't you be more like your brother? God, you know, he gets all his work done. He's never a problem. Why are you so much trouble? You're just not at all like your kid, like your brother, you know, or be more like your sister, independent and not coming to me all the time. I mean, come on. goes on and on and on. All the things that, you know, parents say to kids unknowingly, um, trying to basically motivate them, I think, is where it probably comes from at some level. It's, it's you know, it's a desire to try to make your kids better than you were, Right. Try that on for a second here. Trying to make your kids better than you were. What does that mean? Right? That means that, you know, if you had a certain life and grew up a certain way and, you know, you you see something in your children, you know, you want them to be better than you. You want them to have better opportunities than you did, not miss out on the things that you missed out on, whether they want to or not. And when we're comparing our children to other children, either in the home or down the street, we make them feel really bad. And then they end up having to see me as a kid. And that gets really expensive when you have to send your kids to therapy. So it's preventable, right? One of the things that's become increasingly aware is that educators and parents are, use this negative toll of toxic comparisons, right? It, 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 they, they, it's, it's, it, they're referring in many ways that parents compare their children to others. Everything from outright boasting to the more subtle humble brag about your, their children's academic, athletic, or personal accomplishments, right? So it might be a function of returning to the public sphere after nearly two years of isolation, but it feels as if toxic comparisons have become worse in the aftermath of the pandemic. Um, Ken Van Dyke, he's the director of Toronto Centre for Psychotherapy and Counseling Education. He shares that according to current psychological theory, there are five basic emotions. You can see them well illustrated in the Disney movie Inside Out. So joy, fear, anger, sadness, and the last one, disgust or shame. 
So Van Wyck, Van Wyck goes on to say that therapists over 40 years, um, he has 40 years of experience, he said, the phenomena of toxic comparisons, when a parent compares their child to another child, that emotion that they're tapping into is, is either disgust or shame. Kids learn very young, actually, that if they're compared uh, to somebody else, that there must be something wrong with them. And frankly, it's extremely toxic. I see it in my kid practice all the time. Right, so wishing they'd had a different child, it sounds to the to the kids like the parents wish they had a different child, and they, the kid actually learns to be ashamed of themselves at some level. More disturbingly, right, if you compare, you know, if you can, if the comparison's a favorable one, for example, like look how brilliant you are, you know, you, you're not like this other kid. He still, you know, gets the feeling. This kid still gets that feeling of disgust and shame, engage, engaged in thinking that they can feel somewhat superior to another child. It, it, either way, it's not good. Comparing, I mean, comparing anybody to anybody is, you know, you're more like the girl I used to date, or, you know, why can't you be more like, right? That when, As soon as you say that to somebody, it puts them in a really uncomfortable place. It doesn't make them feel good about who they are. It's no wonder that we see kids today who are really having a hard time struggling with trying to find their feet. You know, parents all the time talk about, I, you know, I, I have parents that call me about one kid or another and, you know, ask about the kind of help they might need or that we could provide. And, you know, first thing they say is, you know, I have two other kids and they're not at all like each other. You know, um, they're, they're not they're not at all. You know, they're, they're, my, my daughter is this and my son is that. But this middle kid, oh, my, he's trouble. And I'm sure if that's the attitude the parent has towards me. And in fact, I'm sure the kid hears it too. I mean, I used to hear it from my mother, God bless her. She's, you know, she's still the greatest mother ever. But, you know, she would say things like, uh, you know, uh, something about one of my brothers or about another brother or about another brother or compare me to one of my cousins. Oh, I had cousins. I still have cousins. They're wonderful. I really love my family for the most part. But I have cousins who just could do no wrong. And I did everything wrong, by the way, just so we understand. Right. So this comparison creates problems for children. Because it, 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 you get to a point where there's the level of disgust. It shows up as either shaming themselves or, as we see in the broader society, shame against another group that's then deemed to be inferior. So either you're shaming yourself, you're, you feel ashamed because you're not good enough, or you end up in this shame kind of feeling because you feel in, um, superior to others. Either way, it doesn't provide a healthy platform, right? Kate Hilton, she's a Toronto parent. She can relate to this. She says, I was the straight-A student who got scholarships everywhere. I have three kids now with challenges. This is something I've had a personal journey with, and I get wrong sometimes. I now feel I'm getting it more right. There is a difference in messaging however, between you're not meeting the standards set by someone else, and let's look at your gifts, your talents, your interests, and how you're working to get uh, together the most to your max, to how you reach your maximum potential. But, you know, it's... It, we don't really talk to our kids that way. And, you know, my, my, my grandchildren were over last night. We had them sleep over and, um, they were, they were playing on the magnetic, uh, on the fridge. We have mag magnetic letters and they spell things because, uh, anyway, it's Friday night. We don't use electronics and so on without getting into that. So, um, they were using the word goat and my, my granddaughter referred to herself as a goat. And she asked me if I knew what a goat was. And I said, absolutely. I do. She says, do you think I'm a goat? And I said, well, I think you're a guy out. She says, what's a guy out? I said, you're the greatest you of all time. You don't have to be the greatest of all time. You just have to be the greatest you of all time. 
And I think that's the difference in the messaging here, that each one of us has something special. Each kid has something they can bring to the table. Each kid has something. They may not be the, the, the same athlete as the other brother or the other sister, but maybe they're a little kinder. Maybe they're a little better with the dog. Maybe they're a little more helpful with mom. Maybe they cook better. Who knows? Or maybe they're just a little smarter or a little better with video games. Like you can find everyone's thing if you look for it. And we should be enhancing each children's thing that they have that makes them special, that makes them something different, someone different. And in the comparison of them to no one else, because there's no one else like them to compare to, they can find their feet in a confident, you know, life with a lot less guilt and, and uh, angst around how they feel about themselves. Right? You can find something good about every child. You can find something good about every person. You know, they work really hard. They may not get the greatest marks, but they work really hard to get the best marks they can. Is that different or better than the kids who get great marks and do no work? I've had a combination in my family of my children. You know, I have one cup, you know, one child who, you know, doesn't didn't have to do any work and did very well, like nineties or better. As a matter of fact, did so well he would kind of keep his marks down so he wouldn't get the on the honor roll. And then I had other kid, you know, other other my two kids maybe had to work a little bit harder to get, you know, the same marks or better. Depends, right? Each kid is different. And because each kid is different, you can't compare them to one another. The same as you can't compare this wife to the last wife or this husband to the last husband or this rest, you know, like each, each situation, each person has to be celebrated for their individuality, for who they are that makes them different. So how do you build a child's self-esteem? Through empowerment. Van Wick suggests encouraging children to realize their own inner resources and help them build on them. Help the kids build on their strengths. If they're good with this, that's great. Let them be good with something that, they, that they're comfortable with whether it's something you think is good for them or not, as long as they're not hurting themselves or anybody else, not yours to decide. If you force your kids to see their disabilities, they're not going to see their ability. And if they can set goals for themselves instead of measuring against some parental standards or standards being put by parents as comparison to others, they're going to do a much, much better job. They're going to be much healthier kids. And they're going to be, you know, frankly, if they're healthier kids and happier kids, it makes your life so much easier going forward. So the comparison of one child to another or, one, or, or you know, one, one set of skills of one kid over another, it's disastrous, unnecessary, and doesn't get you to where you want to go. Each kid should be empowered unto themselves, and that's how you get the healthiest kids possible, if that's even possible today. We're, not just, we're just not doing a great job. Anyway, when we come back, we're going to talk about how parents are worried about putting food on the table uh, as inflation soars and this whole pandemic. A lot of anxiety out there with parents trying to provide for their families. We'll be talking about this in a minute. As soon as you come back, Yonabud, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yonabud, only on 640 Toronto. It's ridiculous. We definitely had to up our grocery budget by probably $200 a month. Fruits and vegetables are the worst. They're really hard to afford these days, but when you have kids and they need them, what can you do? Okay, welcome back. Thank you for joining me. This is Yona Bud. You are on the road to recovery. I appreciate you joining us this evening. You know, uh, a lot of people are concerned, real concerns. Uh, families have concerns about how to make ends meet. Families have concerns about, um, you know, job job options and changes. Uh, some families are, are dealing with uh, the, the main breadwinners being either let go, let off, or laid off. 
um, or looking for new employment. Um, the pandemic had a really has had a really huge impact on a lot of us in terms of financial security. But if you got kids, you know, if you got people you're supporting, that insecurity really, you know, really has a heavy load on you, right? You can really feel it. Keeps you awake at night. Makes it difficult for you to function. It makes it difficult to go out and do the job you need to do so you can, in fact, put food on the table. I want to hear from you. Are you feeling a little bit just under the pressure of trying to make ends meet? 416-870-6400. Let's talk about it a little bit. I'm certainly able to help you with it if you want to talk or share with us how you're managing, how you're getting by on your budget. Uh, but, you know, we've uh, – I'll tell you something. My uh, wife put me on a budget uh, – put us on a budget, not me, put us on a budget because just we had no idea what we were spending and needed to know. I needed to know. And now that I've been on it, I'm kind of, you know, a little OCD about it because I need to know the information I need to know. But it's great to understand where we stand so I know what I can do and what I can't do, what I can buy and what I can't buy, what I, where I can go, where I can't go, what I can – you know, whatever. So I, I'm I'm finding that it works really well with me, just my, keeping my OCD and my ADD in check, my anxiety disorder in check, just by having some idea of what a budget looks like. So I'm not sure that makes it easier to manage your money so you can feed your kids going forward, but I'll tell you that it certainly helps if you have some kind of financial plan or some kind of budget so you know you know where where you're going to be uh, and where the snags might be, you know, where that soft spot of the month might be. So if you need a little help or need access to a food bank or something, that might be the time to go. And there's no shame in that, by the way, right? There's no shame in asking for help. If you need it, let's get it. And if you don't know how to get it, give me a call. and We'll figure out how to get you the help you need or introduce you to the people that can help you. 416-870-6400. If you ever need to reach me, you can so at 877-777-5808, 877-777-5808, and I'd be pleased to uh, help you in any way that I can. So Canada's annual inflation rate is now 4.7% as it reached in October. So it's it's fastest pace in nearly 19 years. Soaring living costs have become a top concern for 78% of Canadians, okay? Three-quarters of us or more are finding it a little difficult. Financially, only six percent said they weren't all weren't at all worried about rising prices. You know, I went to get a tank of gas the other day. Um, usually, my wife we share a vehicle, so my wife usually gases up because she's out during times of the day where it's easier to gas up and it's nicer, it's warmer, whatever. Without getting into it, anyway. I, um, like I remember when this pandemic started, I was kidding with one of my my children about uh, kidding with one of my kids. Uh, I guess that's what you do with kids, you kid. Uh, but we were talking about. Gas prices, and I remember when the pandemic started, uh, we were like at, um, I don't know, it was, I, I think I paid as low as 79 or 81 cents a, a, gal- a gallon, I guess, or a liter. And, you know, at the end of the day, i now looking at gas prices, they're what, $1.30 something, $1.20 something, like it's through the roof. So it's harder for people to make their their their, their ends meet when we go, when we're you know we're looking at a thirty cent shift in in in, in uh, gas prices, or you know forty percent rise in certain fruits and vegetables. We went shopping this week for fruits and vegetables, and I was blown away by what it costs to buy you know basic stuff. I mean, we don't buy anything funky or fancy; just your basic veggies and some decent fruit. Um, crazy pricing, right? Thankfully, both my wife and I are working and we're able to, to support ourselves to, to, together, the two of us. We help our kids where we can if we have to, if they if they need the help. But it's hard for people to make ends meet. Six out of ten respondents with kids under 18 said they're concerned they might not have enough money to feed their family compared to four in ten uh, who said the same overall 
prior to the pandemic. People are having a difficulty paying for expensive real estate. You know, okay, so you don't have to necessarily buy buying a house to figure out a way to make ends meet. Uh, I don't know how you, I don't know how young people are going to ever buy a house in this economy. Uh, there are things like shared ownership and co ownership and so on, lease to own, rent to own, all that kind of stuff. Maybe that will help. But in the grocery stores. Um, people are finding that it's now costing around somewhere between $200 and $250 a month more than it did, say, six months ago, seven months ago, eight months ago. Fruits and vegetables are the worst, apparently. They're really hard hard to afford, according to many parents. Uh, and when you have kids, that's the stuff they need, right? It's the good, healthy stuff, the fruits and the vegetables. So if you're having a difficult time, that might be something you decide to get from uh, a food bank or through a, a food bank-type structure, uh, where they might be able to uh, just make it a little bit easier for you to get the kind of groceries home that you need. I'm not talking about being able to afford, you know, steak and, and, and you know, brisket and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm talking about just being able to afford the kinds of fruits and vegetables and breakfast foods uh, and decent, you know, some some uh, chicken, fish, something, protein that is healthy for your kids. Um, you know, people are having a harder time today, especially for many people who are working uh, either part time, have lost their jobs or currently, you know, currently laid off, um, you know, relying on government assistance in terms of some of these um, CERB type programs. So it, it, it's very important that you try to put your stuff together, relying. Some people are relying more on frozen meals and they're stocking up on produce. So the other way to do this is buying your fruits and vegetables when they go on sale and then freezing them. If you have the ability to freeze and you have a big enough freezer to do so, freezing some of your fresh fruits and vegetables may not be a bad alternative because there are places that discount them. Almost 80% of Canadians say inflation will make everyday things less affordable for them. That's according to an Ipsos poll. And um, the supply chain snarls and all the bad weather and what's going on uh, in B.C., globally food prices have risen more than 30% over the past 12 months. According to the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, they stated that in November. Food inflation stood at 3.8 in October, uh, but as the growing season ends, experts warned that Canadians um, will be in for a bigger uh, sticker shock than they have currently. Uh, beef prices, for example, for the month were already almost 15% higher than a year later, year earlier, uh, and so on. I guess a lot of people are now finding that living a vegetarian lifestyle or vegan lifestyle or limiting their meat um, is one way to save money. And, you know, if you were to ask my wife, she'd say that's probably a healthier uh, diet. Anyway, flooding in BC, as I said, is really having a devastating chain, uh, impact on the on the on the food supply chain. So the other thing that we can talk about doing is sharing meals with friends, neighbors, and, 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 and family. So I, I know some folks that are struggling and uh, they get together as neighbors. Um, there's a couple of neighbors on, on either side of the person I'm referring to and they make dinners together. And it's frankly less expensive to feed 10 than it is to feed four. Uh, I'm not sure how, but you know, there's uh, I don't cook that much, so it's hard for me to really, give you, a, you know, some legitimate, you know, answer. But I guess, you know, there's volume, right? Volume, you can stretch things over, uh, you know, more people. You can uh, get the, the most out of your dollar by doing so. So a lot of people are looking at sharing meals. Uh, families are, you know, having more weekend meals together. Uh, people are finding um, that they're, they're cooking meals that they can have as leftovers for the following day. So if you're sending your kids to school, you know, perhaps leftovers from the night before might be a little better than pe peanut butter and jam. By the way, nothing wrong with peanut butter and jam, right? It's a healthy, can be a healthy uh, lunch. I ate it for years and years and years. 
still do from time to time. It's the my go-to comfort, one of my go-to comfort foods, right, along with grilled cheese. But, you know, being worried about doing this, being being concerned about it, being anxious about your ability to pay the bills will not help you pay the bills. So understand that you're not in this alone. I know you've heard this before. It's enough to make you want to throw up. But you're not in this alone. And there are systems and programs and, and, and assistance, excuse me, for people out there, those out there that would require some form of support. But eating together, eating with family and friends might be the way to go. Limiting your fast food is a way to stretch your budget. Sending your kids to McDonald's with five bucks isn't a meal. I'm sorry. It's a treat. But, you know, you're better off at home with some fruits and vegetables and a piece of something, you know, a piece of uh, a chicken or, you know, something, a piece of fish or, you know, some something you can create at home that you can spread over time. And, you know, it's much less expensive to feed yourself at home than it is for fast food. And I know it's difficult for families that are busy running and going and doing and whatever, right? But I'm, I'm suggesting that don't be, what I'm suggesting is don't sort of bog yourself down, lie in bed and worry about how you're going to feed your kids. You're not in it alone. There's help out there. Feel free to use the and take advantage of the services that are out there. Um, you know, 54% of people in Alberta were worried about putting food on the table, 49% in Quebec, uh, and 40% people in, in Ontario uh, were are worried about being able to uh, feed their families. So, you know, it's a discussion you can have with others for sure. And maybe there's strength in numbers, like I said, sharing with one another, you know, Sharing meals, buying together, you know, going out to the country to pick up your fruits and vegetables might be cheaper than going to your local supermarket. So there's options. And by the way, that's a nice outing, right? Take your kids out. It's kind of a nice outing. You get out, chill out, go for a nice drive. Anyway, that's uh, difficult to do. We're in a big, in a, in, a, in a kind of a difficult place, but uh, you do the best you can with what you got, right? When we come back, we're going to talk about it's hard. It's not hard not to isolate for people that are basically getting ready for seasonal depression. Um, and uh, it's a real thing. It's called SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder. When we come back, we're going to talk about that. Yonabud, 640 Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yonabud on 640 Toronto. And welcome back. Thank you. This is Yona here on The Road to Recovery. Thank you for joining us. I'm in the studio with Sophia, Devon, and Natasha. And uh, thank you all for choosing 640 this evening. You can reach us at 416-870-6400. Or if you're out of the area, 888-225-8255. I'd love to hear from you and uh, share your information with others. Uh, your stories, your comments, whatever. That's what this is all about. You know, it's a time of year... As you've been watching the news, um, the winter's about to come tomorrow. In the next couple of days, we're going to get some crappy, snowy weather. I don't know. Maybe you like it. For me, it's eh, it kind of makes me a little bit down. Sorry, that's really what we're talking about here is seasonal depression. When it's, when it's dark out at 7.30 in the morning, it's yucky. I find it yucky. I don't know about you. Tell me what you think. 416-870-6400. And by the way, yucky isn't a clinical term. It's just the one I use for the days where you look outside and it's just so, yeah, you just want to pull the sheets over your head and go right back to sleep. So for some of us, it's something you can kind of not really make fun of, but you kind of joke around, oh, what a lousy day. I just want your lousy weather. I'm just going to go back to sleep here and, you know, see you tomorrow. For many people, it's a disease. For many people, it's a real, it's a real uh, dis disorder. It causes um, real difficulty for those that don't get enough sunlight, right? So seasonal depression or seasonal depression disorder is more medically known as SADS. Uh, it's depression or depressive episodes that can happen during specific times of the year. 
So we're talking about people who's, who normally, quote unquote, normally throughout the rest of the year, uh, through the daylight savings times where there's more light than dark, do much better. So in the fall and winter, according to Dr. Stephen Powell, he's a psychiatrist, um, and he talks about, um, you know, this disorder in such a way that, um, you know, it kind of comes upon you that you can prepare for it. Um, Sydney, who started bracing for SADS back in, De- in September, she's 23 years old and has been dealing with significant changes to her mood around this time of year uh, since her early teens. So she knows. She knows what to expect. She knows how to deal with it. She knows how to get ready for it. You know, if you know what to expect and it's not something, oh, my God, how come suddenly I don't feel so I'm suddenly depressed, I feel sad, I don't feel this, I don't feel that. So it's when you're expecting it, it doesn't hit you in the middle of the face. It's a lot easier to manage. So it's mood changes. It's also motivate. It's also behavioral changes and so on. Uh, she goes on to say it starts to actually hit me. It's hard to not isolate. She explains it's harder to just get to the. It's hard to just get to the grocery store. So this is really about people who would prefer to isolate during this time of year than be out with others. Who for who during the pandemic. Um, actually things worked out kind of okay because they didn't have to leave their houses uh, so often. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it doesn't take the depression away not having to leave. It just takes some of the anxiety away. So the crash that people experience after the peak of a holiday cheer season, for example, uh, and, and following an exciting vacation is how she feels just getting into the holiday months all the time. So seasonal effect disorder mimics the symptoms of depression, but it's different only because the classic symptoms include low energy, difficult sleeping, uh, changes in appetite, sluggish, you know, kind of agitated. Uh, people will oversleep. But oftentimes hopelessness and even thoughts of self-harm uh, come into play. So um, it, can, it can really affect people in a way that um, can cause you to um, act in a way that is similar to those that have a, you know, a depression disorder that's not related to the sunlight. So understand that this is a daylight sunlight um, thing for the most part. Um, so people with SAD may also have a difficulty time, a difficult time concentrating. They experience increased stress and anxiety. According to Dr. Seema Boni, Boni she's uh, uh, the doctor and founder of Anti-Aging and Longevity Center in Philadelphia. Uh, Lexi King is 27. She's usually found sitting in the sun in her town of Battle Creek, Michigan, but it's always in the back of her mind, especially as uh, this time comes around. Knowing it's right around the corner, she says, it makes me search for the sun in more than normal. So she tries to find sunny spots in her house. Not a bad idea. Uh, eat lunch outside where she can um, and, you know, and try to chase that sunlight. That's really what you're doing is you're trying to chase the sunlight or the vitamin D. So increasing levels of vitamin D is also another another way to help with your with your symptoms. But if in fact you have uh, seasonal, um, you know, affective disorder, then it's important that you see someone, talk to somebody. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but finding the sunshine is really the key here. So how do you prevent uh, SAD? Luckily, there are some things you can do uh, to get ready for it. So if you know that it's something that affects you, and I'm not talking about just feeling lousy through the winter because you can't wear the same clothes you do in the summer and, you know, blah, 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 and this and that. I'm talking about the fact that you can't get up to go to work. You can't get up to go to the, the, the grocery store. You're just generally sad and, and, and lonely and depressed and so on, you know, and, it, and it, it goes away when the sunshine comes in April or May, whenever we march, April, May, whenever we start to see sunshine. So there's ways you can get ready for it. If you know that you're prone to it, you can make sure that you find ways to get as much outdoor exposure as possible. So getting outside, even if it's a cloudy day, you still have the benefits of the sunshine. I know. 
doesn't make sense, but it does. So making plans ahead of time is vital in keeping your, your sad under control. Uh, this person talks about going out on my way. I go out of my way to make to, to 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 make sure that I'm leaving my house every day. I plan to go to the office. I plan to see friends. Um, also, she this woman goes on to talk about turns normal events like watching TV into a more special occasion by turning it into a movie night, so she can look forward to it. So it's not just watching TV, but a movie night with this meal. So you can set yourself up with knowing that you're going to feel a little off by keeping you know other options in check for yourself, right? Um, it feels different from the, just the average day, something to sort out, to sort of, you know, create some joy through is a little bit more difficult for those that are exper- experiencing this disorder. So making plans to look forward, uh, to aren't reserved just for weekends either, like daily plans going, going to the gym, by the way, is excellent. We'll get to that in a minute here too. Uh, but there are ways to kind of plan around your sadness in advance of the sadness. So if you know you're going to be lonely or you know it's going to be dark and miserable and you know that it's going to affect you in some uh, depressive kind of way, find things to change the, ta- to change the tape, so to speak. Change your, your focus, change your, your, your attention to something that's positive and uplifting, right? So getting outdoor exposure, like I said, is, is, is very important. Make sure you treat every day um, as a day it's possible. Experience happiness. So each, you know, you can't look at the day and say it's a miserable day. It's not. It's so dark outside. I can't possibly be happy today. Turn that around, man. Cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, right? Find the sunshine in the dark place. The glass is half full, not half empty. That's how we need to do with this thing. Share our strategies with one another is really important. If you if you experience uh, um, season affective disorder, please give us a call four one six. Eight seven zero sixty four hundred and share your story. If you don't want to do it here, you can also send me an email at road to recovery at six forty toronto.com. I'll read it. I'll share it with others if that's an easier way for you to communicate. Love to hear from you. So getting consistent sunlight is the most important part of the prevention if it's possible. So reduced sunlight can cause a drop in your serotonin levels. So it's a medical, you know, this is a chemical thing at some level, right? Everything usually is. So uh, your serotonin levels drop when the sunlight's reduced. So a natural mood stabilizer, that's what serotonin does. It naturally stabilizes our mood. So it can be associated with seasonal affect disorder or SAD when your, your serotonin levels are low, obviously. You're at a point where um, your, your moods are likely to alter or change. So try to get outside, boost your serotonin levels. You, know, there are, um, you can support the uh, circadian rhythm or internal body check by you know checking morning... Sunlight, specifically getting your morning sunlight when you can. You know, if some, you try to grab it where you can, drive. You know, if you're driving to work, try to take a route that's more directly in the sunlight if you can. Other ways to get a natural mood boost, exercise. So if those feel-good endorphins that we get from exercise can absolutely help you come out the other side of seasonal affect disorder. Better exercise, planning for your exercise, exercising in a place that's well-lit. Try to exercise during the day. You know, you look, drive by some of these, you know, fitness facilities, the gyms, you know, the huge windows in the front, lots and lots of sunlight. They want everybody to see you working out inside. That brings more customers, right? More clients. Eating well is also hugely important. So you have to, we're, we're talking about foods that are in your diet that are rich in uh, tryptophan, which helps boost serotonin levels. Foods like eggs, turkey, pineapple, cheese, tofu. Right there you go. If you're not a meat eater or you're a vegan or a vegetarian, tofu, salmon, nuts. These are all the kinds of things you can eat throughout the day 
right? You can have nuts with you. I wouldn't suggest you start eating salmon in the car because you'll stink when you get to where you got to go. But certainly having, you know, so, uh, you know some, some pieces of cheese that you can nibble on or, you know, things that are just going to help you feel a little bit better. Light therapy, actually buying lights that will help um, provide the, um, the kind of stimulation that you would get from sunlight, right? Uh, light therapy helps you regulate your serotonin and melatonin, a sleep hormone, as you've heard, can help regulate your body's internal clock. So getting light therapy can actually tell your body that it's, you know, daylight when it might not be. So you use what's called a 10,000 Lux bulb for about 30 minutes every day. And you can check these things online. Every, you know, the, even things like places like Amazon sell them. They're not that expensive. It's just a, a light with a light bulb that you sit under or sit near. So you can, you can also get help through, um, through regular therapy, right? Treatments like psychotherapy, um, you know, I'll talk about prevention, tricks you can use and so on, relaxation, meditation, breathing is one way to get through any depressive moment. Um, so what else, what else you can do is you can work on, um, you know, preparing for yourself, plan for mood boosting activities in the winter, join a club, find, find yourself a reason to get out and go do stuff, right? Having that reason to go out and do stuff may be the difference between getting out and feeling better or staying at home feeling like you're, you know, too depressed to do anything. Opening the blinds, sitting closer to the windows, moving your desk near a window if you're not already near a window. All of that exposure can be very helpful. Getting outside is absolutely critical. So anything you can do, you know, eating lunch in a park, going on a walk, any little bit of extra sunlight makes a difference. And you can look into those light bulbs and those lighting systems. They're not, like I say, they're not horrendously expensive. And it might be the difference between whether you get up tomorrow morning and feel good about yourself or whether you just want to pull the sheets over your head and go, eh, not doing this today. Anyway, speaking of that, when we come back from break, we're going to go to our 10 o'clock break. So you've got time to go get a drink and have something to eat and uh, do something healthy before you come back and join me again for another hour. Uh, we're going to talk about how Canadians are really having a hard time at work. And uh, we're going to be joined by one of our guests and uh, talk about this whole working, uh, almost working ourselves to death, but not really. But uh, we got to get a handle on life work balance. When we come back, we're going to be talking about that. Yonabad, 640 Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And welcome back. Everybody managed to get back on the bus here so we can continue along the road to recovery. Thank you for joining us. I'm Yona Bud. I'm your host this evening. I'm in the studio with Sophia, Devon, and Natasha. And love to hear from you. 416-870-6400. Kind of got my segments mixed up. We're going to get to this whole burnout thing here in a minute. But I'd like to spend the next, uh, you know, 10 or 12 minutes here talking about whether people actually, you know, they ask me all the time, am I an addict? You know, I do this and I do that and I do this and I do that and I do a lot of this. I don't do enough of that. You know, do you think I'm an addict? Like, I'm not sure I really need the help. So why don't we do this little test together here? 416-870-6400 or 888-225-8255 if you want to join in in the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. So quite simply, right, how do you know if you're an addict? So an addict is a person whose life is controlled by drugs, alcohol, or any other habit that negatively affects their life. So that could be shopping. It could be gambling. It could be sexting, texting. Uh, online gaming, it can be your food, uh, can be, you know, how you affect, you know, how you, how you deal with your, your food intake and so on. So addiction is a chronic disease, right? That affects your physical and mental health. And it takes your pride, your self-esteem, your family, uh, you know, your family, friends, your career. It, it can actually take your whole life away. When you talk to those that are in recovery or those that do have addiction issues, they'll tell you how it just impacts everything they do. 
takes your pride, your self-esteem, right? It takes your career, your friends. And in on sad cases, it takes your it can actually cause you to want to damage yourself, hurt yourself in some way, and often leads to can lead to suicidal death. So here's some questions that can help us together. Open your eyes to the impact that your drug or alcohol use. And again, you could fill in gaming, texting, sexting, food disorder, um, you know, anything that you're doing that's not good for you, that's not healthy for you, and you're doing it in a, in a compulsive kind of way on a regular basis such that you can't get past it. So when I ask the questions, you can fill in the blanks. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're, uh, uh, that you're dealing with, um, that you're dealing with an addiction with alcohol or drugs, but fill in the blanks for something that might affect you. So do you feel you need to drink or use drugs or whatever through the day? Number one, do you constantly think about the next time you can get a fix for either alcohol, drugs, or whatever it is you do, you know, obsessively or in an addictive way? Have you ever been scared that you'll run out of drugs or alcohol or not have the ability to find a computer to do the things you need to do or the privacy? Do you drink alcohol or use drugs in the morning or, or whatever your thing is before bed to help you sleep? Do you often th- think about drinking or using drugs or whatever that is affecting you and doing it alone? Has anyone ever suggested to you that you quit or cut back on whatever it is, the habit that you have that you believe isn't healthy for you? Do you feel defensive or feel guilty or ashamed when people talk to you about your obsessive compulsive disorder or your, your addictions? whether it's drinking or drug use or alike, right? Have you lied about it? Do you lie about the things you do that you know aren't healthy and you shouldn't be doing them? Do you lie about your gambling, your gaming? Do you lie about how much food you actually eat or don't eat? Do you lie about how much alcohol you drink or how many joints you smoke or whatever, how many extra pills you take from your prescription? Have you made promises to people in your life to try to stop or control your drinking or use? And, and, and in some way, have you, and then actually break them. You make your promises and break them. You lie. You lose your, 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 your uh, credibility. Have you missed time from work because of the things that draw you to, uh, to do on a compulsive basis, drugs, alcohol, or alike, right? Have you, managed, have you damaged personal professional relationships due to your abusive, obsessive behaviors? Have you experienced financial difficulties? I mean, come on. How much do you spend on drinking or drug use or buying lottery tickets or going to the casino or, you know, sexting, texting, uh, going to strip joints, whatever it is that you can't stop doing. Do you experience withdrawal symptoms? Does it actually make you feel sick when you stop doing the things that you do on a regular basis that you shouldn't be doing because they're not good for you? You know, if you're drinking or using drugs, for sure there's a withdrawal period. If you've been doing anything consistently for a period of time. Listen, if you have a piece of chocolate cake every day, for two or three months, and then all of a sudden you go for a week or two without eating a piece of chocolate cake, you're going to miss the chocolate cake. may not be withdrawal. It may not make you sick and keep you from going to work, but you will be affected in some way by what you've been doing on a regular basis and now not doing. Have you experienced any kind of blackout due to drinking too much or using the wrong drugs or being in a situation where you just don't remember what you did or how you got there? Right? Have you ever been hospitalized? Due to drug abuse or alcohol use? Have you lied to a doctor to obtain a prescription drug? Have you ever stolen to pay for drugs or alcohol? Have you been arrested as a result of drugs or alcohol or gaming or gambling or being with you know prostitutes or whatever it is that you might be doing? Have you made multiple attempts to stop your behaviors and didn't do well? If you think you have a problem, you need to talk to somebody about it. And here's the thing. We don't think it's a problem until it's a problem. 
You know, and during the pandemic, we're finding for sure that people who, you know, would have a couple of beers after work started having them a little bit earlier in the day and even a little bit earlier in the day and then even a little bit earlier in the day. And those that would smoke a joint after work are now smoking a joint at 2 o'clock in the afternoon because they're getting on a Zoom call. No one's going to smell it or see it in the, on them, right? Hard to really look closely in someone's eyes on a on a video call, but right? So you're able to hide your behaviors. No one's going to see it. You know, the, the, the choice of doing things that are good for you versus the choice of doing things that are bad for you is simply a choice. And you get to make that choice. And what if you chose not to drink or use or gamble or do whatever it is that's not good for you and maybe tearing your family apart? What if you chose to use that time and energy and compulsive behavior to get to the gym three or four or five times a week? What if you suddenly use that same thing to get into shape, to lose your weight or gain your weight or whatever it is you need to do for a positive body image so you feel good about yourself? What if you took that same energy, put it into volunteering in a community activity of some sort? What if you use that same compulsive behavior for good, not for evil? Not to hurt yourself, but to help yourself. What if we looked at the opportunity together about making those kind of changes? 416-870-6400. Give us a call. Love to hear from you. And if you're listening to this and you feel embarrassed and you don't want to call, call me after the show, 877-777-5808. We can talk about it. No judgment here. Not my job. My job's to help, not to judge. So if you're thinking about this and we're talking about it here openly and you're thinking to yourself or looking at one another on the, you know, as you're listening to the show, I can see several of you, you know, looking at one another going, hmm, I don't know. He's bringing up a good point here. If you think there might be a problem, look into it. It's not something you need to hide from. It needs to something, something you need to hit head on. You need to look at it head on. Figure out why I'm doing these things that aren't good for me. Why did I go from one beer to four? Why did I go from a joint every once in a while to smoking a bag of weed a week? Or how come I'm running out of my pain medication three or four days earlier than I should? Maybe I got a problem. And the problem is not talking about it. Because the problem can be fixed. The problem can be solved. Therapy's there. There are, you know, we help hundreds and hundreds of people all the time on a, you know, annually we, 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 there's hundreds of people that we're able to affect either in my, in my retail, in my residential facility or outpatient programs or, you know, training programs or workshops. We're affecting change all the time in people's behaviors. You can do the same for yourself. I know you can. So if you think you're doing something that's probably not good for you and you're probably doing it more often than you should, maybe you're an addict. Maybe you're not. But either way, why don't you look at some of those questions and look, think of the answers. And be honest with yourself, really gut-wrenchingly honest with yourself. And if you think you have some work you can do about changing some of those compulsions, reach out and get the help you need. That's the solution, talking about it. Good talk therapy, good behavioral change, cognitive behavioral therapy, finding the sunshine in the days that are dark, and most importantly, living in the moment, mindfulness. That's the key to getting past mostly all the things that keep us from being successful in life. Worry about today. Don't worry about yesterday or tomorrow. Deal with today, the day that you're able to affect change. When we come back, we're going to talk about the changes that we're seeing with uh, employee and employer relationships. And frankly, employee, employees are just burning out. And we're going to talk to our guest here from LifeWorks when we come back and uh, talk about what's going on out there and see if we can uh, get a discussion going around burnout and what that really means. Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. 
Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Hey, hey, welcome back. Welcome to the show. This is Yona Bud. It's 1018. Do you know where your children are, your loved ones? If not, you need to find them. If you can't find them and you're really concerned about their well-being, you should call 911 right now. And if you're worried about that and there's a reason you don't want to call, give us a call, 416-870-6400. And Devon and Natasha will help us figure out a way to get the help for the people that you need Right now, if that's how you feel. I want to give a big shout out here to my friend, Todd Simcover. He's a disability advocate. He deals with people with disabilities and autism. Know that he's listening in tonight. Just wanted to do a shout out to my boy, Todd. Hey, man, thanks for listening in and all the hard work you do and the difference that you make in so many people's lives. So uh, thanks, brother. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, I want to talk about this whole kind of work balance thing that we've got going on. Um, you know, we're, we're dealing with a lot of burnout issues. We're dealing with a lot of burnout issues uh, today in this day and age. And, you know, we're finding that um, there's a lot going on in the workplace that's causing us to feel overwhelmed, overworked, just not feeling healthy. Uh, LifeWorks is a friend of ours, and uh, Paula is going to join us. Uh, Paula Allen, she's the global leader and senior vice president of research and total well-being at LifeWorks. She's going to join us here. She's on the line. But wanted to get to their press release real quick. Um, LifeWorks Mental Health Index reveals workplace relationships have deteriorated since before the pandemic. Overall mental health score of, 10, of 9 is 10.2 compared to the pre-pandemic benchmark, a slight improvement from the previous month. All kinds of stuff. Young Canadians, parents, and managers are experiencing feelings of crisis and inability to cope with mental health. Mental health deteriorating workplace relationships have impact, impacted mental health, isolation, productivity. Um, from our, a comment from our friend Paula, who's going to join us here right this minute, um, she says, "Our ways of working have changed." And many of the connections that supported our well-being have also changed. The finding that more of us indicate that work hinders well-being is concerning and needs to be addressed. Digital tools and manager training are two practical ways to uh, integrate well-being in today's work. As business reshapes uh, how they operate, uh, the most successful organizations will invest in employee well-being and workplace relationships. Paula, my friend, how are you tonight? I'm doing very well. Always great speaking with you. Yeah, awesome. When we were talking to your office about getting organized and we were talking about having you join us, they said, oh, really? At that hour? And then we were like, yeah, man, she's like up for this. So thank you so much for being awake and being part of this uh, process tonight. We're, we're really having a problem. I'm, I'm getting a lot of calls from people that I do coaching work with around the kind of stuff you folks deal with at LifeWorks, uh, Paula. And um, people are really having a hard time at work these days. What's going on out there? Yeah, well, we've had a hard time just generally speaking. So you know, on, on one dimension of this, uh, just the strain and disruption that we've been going through over the last little while can't be underestimated. It's, it's really t- taken its, its toll. And we're still in a period of uncertainty. And, and I, I don't need to tell you how much the mind just does not like uncertainty nor change. Um, but on top of that, the way we were working has changed. You know, whether you're going into the work site or whether you're working from home, things are different. You know, when we're going into the work site, there's this high level of vigilance. You know, there's, you know, there's a lot of more accountability that we have to, have to deal with. Um, the public is not always wonderful and supportive. As a matter of fact, people are on edge. And if you're working from home, you know, as, as wonderful it is in some ways in terms of flexibility, et cetera, we've lost a lot. 
we've lost connections with our, our, our employer. We've lost connections with the people at work. We might not feel it in an obvious way right now, but our, our numbers are showing that unmistakably. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think it's a whole routine thing, too, right? As you know, um, you know, there's something about the routine of being able to get up in the morning and get get dressed and put on real work clothes to go deal with adults and get out of the house and get away from your kids and so on. You know, that that is such a negative impact on us when we're not able to do that. And I guess what we're finding now, what I'm hearing, and obviously I think you're hearing the same thing, is that now when people are actually getting to work, they're finding that they're not getting the relief they used to when they used to leave home and go to work and get that and get that relief. They're actually finding themselves more anxious at work than they used to be. What, what, what do you think the phenomena behind that is? Yeah, well, a couple of things. Well, one, one then for some people, you know, it is that structure. It is that routine. You know, it, that does give us a sense of, of comfort, actually, uh, and that separation from, yeah, from home and yeah, work. But, yeah. but, but, but uh, you know, the other thing that it gives us is variety. And when our brain doesn't have variety, like when you're always in one rut, and, and it might not feel like a rut, but it's always one path when your world is getting a little bit smaller, when you don't have that uh, additional opportunity for social support, you know, not only with your family and close friends, but with the people at work, even like a, a smile, a thank you, you know, uh, you know just, just things that are not just transactional. Um, then that does impact our, our well-being. You know, we have to replace that in some way, shape, or form. We can't just make that disruption in our lives and expect things to be the way they, they, they were. Uh, we, do ha- we do need other people. We do need variety. Uh, we do need to have our worlds as big as they possibly can be so we can feel empowered in the way that we explore it. And when we don't have that, when it shifts even slightly, then you have an issue. Yeah. Yeah, and again, you know, we're 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 finding that the 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 supportive workplace of the of the past isn't what it is now. Um, are we finding that you're talking with a lot of employers? That's what you do for a day job. You know, when you're talking to a lot of employers, what are they struggling with around trying to provide for their employees? Do they recognize what's going on in the burnout that we're dealing with, or are they just kind of you know not really faced with it? They're looking more at the financial impact of everything. Well, I, I do think there's different employers and different ways that different different individuals and in each employer looks at things. Uh, a lot of the ones that we are speaking to are very aware of the burnout, the emotional exhaustion, um, also because they themselves, like when we're talking about employers, usually we're talking about the leaders and organizations. They've been feeling that too. <laughs> it's, right. it's not just the general population. Uh, our leaders are actually feeling that same sort of emotional exhaustion. So there's a fair bit of empathy, empathy even just because of that. But I do find that em- employers are struggling about what to do. You know, I think um, I think there's been this drive of, of kind of trying to get things back to the way they were as much as possible. And that's worked well in some situations. That's really not worked well in, in others. And then they're trying to say, okay, well, what, what should we do? Hybrid work, this, that, and the other. At the end of the day, people need support. They need a sense of control. They need a sense of connection with their workplace. Those are the things that'll help be helpful, you know, you know, treating people with respect, support, allowing the flexibility that's, that's possible, you know, making sure that you have positive experiences as a result of your work. Those are the things that we need more now than ever. 
you know, a lot of the deteriorating relationships that you you mentioned at the beginning are not because bad things are happening between managers and employees or between co-workers. It's an absence of good things. Ah, so, I love that. Yeah, I love yeah. that. It's an abs- absence of good things. So the, the, the logical... I guess the logical going forward plan for an employer would be, uh, so I, I have some, so I have some coaching clients that I, that I deal with that are sales organizations and, you know, tens and tens and or dozens of employees. And, you know, we're, what we're dealing right, with right now is in, in improving the culture around support, meaning, you know, being a more, a little more supportive to one another, a little more understanding if things don't get done exactly on time, you know, uh, different departments learning how to talk, you know, more positively to one another. I think somehow over the pandemic, we've lost our ability to treat each other nicely. Um, whether it's just the frustration of being in lockdown or whatever, we're now going back to work and, you know, some employees are walking in the door with maybe a little bit of a, an, an edge knowing that they, they, they're more needed today than ever. But employers, I'm not sure are really looking at this, this, uh, balance of confidence building and comfort, uh, as part of the going forward strategy. It's more around whether you work from home or you work from here, uh, you know, in the office or not. Uh, what we're missing is that pat on the back, that attaboy Billy or their great job, Sarah, right? Without question, without question, without question. I mean, this isn't about structure and scheduling. I mean, that, that, that actually is, 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 is part of what people are actually verbalizing. But it is that kind of respect and recognition of your own needs. Uh, you mentioned something about the pat on the back. I mean, we're, when we were looking at the reasons why uh, a number of people are contemplating leaving their employer, uh, one one significant factor, particularly for older employers, was feel older employees was feeling underappreciated. Yeah. You know, when we when we go through a period of strain, your need for recognition and appreciation goes up. And again, a lot of employers might not realize that some of that recognition has actually been depleted because it's not just the formal structures of recognition. It is that smile. It is that, that, that kind of, you know, small thank you. It is that, that sense that you're doing the right thing because you're in the environment that kind of supports it. And if we're not connecting with each other in the same way that we were because we're working from home or because we're so busy because we're short staffed, you know, we're, we're really losing something. We need to make sure that we're, we're, consciously investing in the relationships that we have. And do you think we know how, I mean, obviously you clients that work with you are able to get those skills and get the support that LifeWorks provides. Um, and if you're, if you run a business and you're out there and you're not sure how to handle your employees, um, you know, Paula Allen is the person to talk to at uh, LifeWorks for sure. They have an excellent organization, but uh, we only have a little bit of time. Obviously, we'll have to come back to this. But um, you know, I, I think it's it's a, it's a question really of value, as you said. It's a question of value, and I think that people. Um, I'm finding that younger people now that are looking for new jobs, looking for changes in employment and so on, are realizing that you know they can ask for things that make them feel better, and they can. You know, they, they can comment about certain things that are said to them or emails that they receive that may not make them feel good. And, you know, I guess I guess with the last minute we've got here, are people safe in talking to their managers about the fact that maybe the way they talk to each other or the, the manager talks to them doesn't make them feel good? Like, how do you say that without losing your job in a minute or less? Well, this is sort of a skill I think that we need uh, in, in, um, in every level. You know, uh, saying what you need 
demonstrating what 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 how to how to show value to another person is something I think that is a, a little bit lacking in our in our society. And I think we just take it one step at a time. I don't think it comes easily for many people. But what you can do is just focus on one thing. So rather than saying, I need you to make me feel valued, respected, these are very big concepts. They're very hard for people to kind of break down and take action on. But you can make a comment on certain actions. You know, um, how, you know, what's something, something that was said that made you feel in a particular way and you want to clarify whether that was the intent or not because you are feeling X. Uh, something that wasn't done, you know, you weren't asked for your opinion and how that made you feel. Like be as concrete as possible. What is the trigger situation? And then put words around that. Well, listen, it seems like there's going to be a lot for us to continue to talk about because there's uh, moving forward. I'm not sure we're going to get this sooner than later. So I'm going to have you come back for sure some other time soon. Um, Appreciate you joining us, Paula, as always. If I don't speak to you before the holidays, have a great holiday. Uh, But we'll definitely have you come back. A lot going on with with respect to uh, lack of respect, actually, in uh, in relationships with between employers and employees uh, and uh, Paula and her team at LifeWorks can help you sort that out if that's where uh, you think this needs to go. When we come back, we're going to talk with uh, someone about uh, what it's like to live with Parkinson's uh, during the pandemic. Better? Not as good? Difficult? Anyway, we're going to share that as soon as we come back here. Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Okay, thank you so much for joining us. This is Yona Bud. You are on the road to recovery. The last leg of the show, we got a couple of segments here where we're going to dedicate to uh, our guest, Larry Gifford. He's, uh, he's actually my boss, so uh, let's be nice out there and behave. If you want to give a call in every once in a while, then he'll think people are actually listening. Right? I have my mother lined up to do that. But actually, we have Larry on the, on the call with us uh, this evening. He's a, He is the national director of Talk Radio for Chorus. Uh, and like I said, he's my boss. He's my boss's boss, actually. Um, but moreover, the reason he's here now is, number one, he's a friend. And number two, um, he has created something called PD Avengers, which I am one of. I'm still waiting for my cape and my hat, but it's um, a Parkinson's disease uh, activist, so you, so to speak. We're we're trying to do what we can to change the 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 tone and the discussion around Parkinson's, and obviously lead to something uh, positive and uh, as it relates to some form of treatment. And I know Larry's on the line. I'm just going to lead in here with um, you should understand that neurological dis- disorders are now the leading source of disability globally around the world. 10 million people around the world um, have Parkinson's disease, and the number's growing all the time. Paraquat and other forms of chemicals and toxins linked to the increased risk of the disease are, are, are still out there, still being manufactured and still being used in parts of the world um, that um, you know, are highly affecting uh, people's uh, neurological well-being. The world's, you know, Parkinson's is the world's fastest growing neurological disease, not something that they pride themselves in, frankly. It's something that causes us a great deal of alarm. And little beyond, uh, little beyond a 50 year old drug is used today, uh, to treat Parkinson's. Um, right now there's 4,530 PD Avengers around the world. Uh, we've had uh, 79, I believe, 79 different assemblies. Um, and uh, PD Avengers is celebrating one year of sharing Parkinson's stories and advocacy through lifting the voices of people with Parkinson's disease. And I'd now like to lead, lift the voice of my friend, Larry Gifford. Larry, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for the introduction. That was great. 
Oh, thank you. Good. Just make sure you keep a note for my 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 uh, performance review. But um, sure, uh, on, on, yeah, thank you. Um, you know, on, on, a, on a much more serious note, you know, I've been following uh, PD Avengers and, and and the work that we're doing and you're doing, um, and we're you know trying to understand the sort of the world impact that this disease has on people. But I guess during you know the last time we met was prior to or in the midst of perhaps the, the pandemic. I don't remember our last show together. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we we're coming out the end of it or something. A lot has changed. For you a lot has changed for um, the organization, but if you don't mind, from a, from a personal perspective, um, slight. What what have you noticed in your own sort of struggles and and learning to live with Parkinson's? Um, what do you what do you notice during the pandemic, perhaps that is most you know outstanding in your mind um, in terms of more difficult, less difficult? Uh, how has it impacted you, for example? Well, I think we we all found the benefits of telemedicine which was great. So we didn't have to travel to our doctors and, and spend 10 minutes with them to get a refill of drugs, you know, right. whether you know, practitioner or, or our neurologist. Uh, and I think there's benefits to that. You can't do everything over telemedicine, but you, like, you can't diagnose Parkinson's over, over um, you know, uh, telemedicine. But if you're just going in for uh, an annual, certainly that's, that's totally doable unless there's something critically wrong with you. Uh, like you need new drugs or something, something's happening that's, you know, offbeat. That's right. the interesting thing about Parkinson's. So there's a couple of interesting things about Parkinson's. Parkinson's is, um, <clears throat> is, 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 is unique to everybody. So anybody who has Parkinson's, it's kind of like a, you know, a snowflake. All snowflakes are different. So everybody with Parkinson's is just an individual with Parkinson's because there's over 40 different symptoms. Most of them are non-motor symptoms. Right. Uh, so like, like control of your bladder or, or control of your, sleep behavior like most of us are paralyzed when we're sleeping we don't move around a lot people with parkinson's that's because it's an automatic function we don't have the chemical to relay communication from our brain to the rest of our body we a lot of us lose that ability to, to stay in that paralyzed state and so we end up acting on our dreams uh, and the dreams become very violent uh, so um, it, it's really uh, it, it's it's a disease that is um affecting the um, wealthy countries more than it is the poor countries. So the wealthier the country, the more likely it is that Parkinson's is a bigger problem. Which wow. is Why is that? Why is that? Why is that? Because the more advanced a country is in, um, you know, through, through the, uh, <laughs> started with the, with the industrial revolution, uh, see, okay. so the, the more advanced you are, the more polluted your state is, the more polluted your country is. Um, and so all these different chemicals uh, are combining to, and, you know, you talked about Paraquat, it's still legal in Canada with a lot of restrictions, but still still somewhat legal. In, in the U.S., it's very legal. And it, it's um, it, last year, they spread 12,000 pounds of Paraquat on our food crops. Wow. A, spoonful, a spoonful of Paraquat will kill a person. Wow. So the big, and the, the, what they say is the, the, the bigger the issue is the people that are working these crops. Uh, that's what I was going to say. It's the people spraying them and working with them yes. and, and being around them, right? Like it's. Uh... Yep. Some golf courses use, use chemicals that are, that are like Paraquat to, to control the weeds and whatnot, because it does a very excellent job of that. It's, and, and, and it's like the, the insects and whatnot. They, you know, it's a it's a uh, it's a herbicide. It's a it's a it's a nerve agent is what it is essentially, and it kills weeds as well as it kills people. 
And and are we like what I don't understand? Are we are, that we know there's a correlation between these chemicals and the development of Parkinson's in individuals? Is is someone prone to Parkinson's that these these chemicals then trigger, or is it just you know like I'm sure you weren't you know I, I know you well enough to believe that you weren't out in the crops and chances are you know you're not close enough to spraying things that you you would have had access to it. Is it is it just some people are susceptible to it through? through droplets of this type of stuff or give me an idea how you kind of yeah, correlate the, the Parkinson's with the, with the chemical. Yeah. The way it's described to me is that it's, it's part genetics. So you have to be genetically disposed disposed to it. Uh, it's not like passed down from generation to generation. Typically that's like five to 10% of the people will get it you know, from genealogy from, okay. from, uh, from past generations. But 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 it's still genetically related. There's still genes that you know are in a, uh, um, a state of which they're prone to become Parkinson's, uh, right. and then so that what they call that is like that you know with the your genetics the gun is cocked and the environment pulls the trigger. Wow. So are we are we able to do things with the understand? No, I say wow a lot because I still find it mind-boggling in 2021, 2022 that we're having this discussion about something that we know uh, is negatively affecting us um, in so many ways, and millions and millions of people are being affected by it. Um, you know, are, are we are we any closer? Uh, we've got a you know a minute here before we go to break. When we'll come back, we'll do some more. But are we any are we any closer to? understanding or, 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 or you yourself, I mean, are you and, and PD Avengers, are we any closer to doing what we need to do to, to prevent the use of these chemicals or to allow people to be more aware of them? So they're wearing better respirators. Like what do we do that? We know the kid's going to fall off the slide. What do we do to make sure we can catch them before they hit the ground? Well, it's a lot about legislation and, and we've banned one of the chemicals in the United States, but there's three of them that are really bad. Um, and we're working on uh, with the uh, Parkinson's Canada to uh, put together a lobbying campaign for some others. Uh, it's it's really about making people aware. And in a lot of countries, it's banned not because of Parkinson's, but it's banned because it's a great suicide agent. So people have been killing right. themselves with it, so they ban it that way. And I guess having Parkinson's as, as sad as it is to say, I guess it is, you know for for many people it is a it, there, there's no there's no hope at the end of it these days, correct? Well, I mean, it, there's no there's no cure, but uh, you know we're you know as the, all the, the degenerative brain diseases continue to do research, we're all benefited by that. So when we come back from break, Larry, we're going to talk about some of the positive stuff going forward and try to leave on a high note. Topic of some of the positive stuff you guys are doing that uh, that are coming out. I want to talk a little bit about this DBS treatment, um, this brain stimulation treatment. Uh, when we come back from break, so hang in there. We'll be right back with you. We're going to take a break right now. We'll be right back. Yonabud six forty, Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yonabud only on six forty Toronto. Okay, welcome back for the last little bit of our trip here. So just keep yourselves buckled in here. The bus hasn't stopped. We're going to get to the end of it shortly. I'm on uh, the road to recovery with my friend Larry Gifford. Uh, he's the national director of talk radio for Chorus. He's uh, also um, the founder of PD Avengers. He's also someone who deals with Parkinson's disease uh, himself and uh, is managing it the best way possible. Uh, Larry, thank you for being with us again. Um, you know, the, the, some of the interviewing, some of the in information I've been reading uh, about um, the COVID vaccine and it relates, as it relation, relates to motor symptom um, issues with those that are suffering with Parkinson's disease, I'm probably not going to pronounce it pro uh, properly, but is uh, dyskinesia, right? Dyskinesia? Dyskinesia. 
Dyskinesia, thank you. So it's an involuntary erratica, um, rithering moments of the face, arms, and legs, or trunk. They're often fluid and dance-like, but muscle cause rapid jerking or slow and extended muscle spasms. They're not a symptom of Parkinson's itself, but rather a complication from some of the Parkinson's medications. And what we're finding here in some of these reports, Larry, if I'm reading it rightly, right, correctly, is that some of these COVID-19, uh, COVID-19 vaccines are in fact bringing that out, uh, in patients. What is it, uh, that, uh, that you can share around this, uh, this matter? Well, what we don't know is if it's uh, if, if the COVID-19 is neurotropic in nature, we believe it probably is, uh, meaning right. that it has to do with the nervous system. Right. Uh, you know, the first one of the first signs is that they lose their sense of smell, people who are uh, have COVID-19. And the same is true with people with Parkinson's because your nose and your tongue and it's all connected to the brain. Right. Uh, so when you, does it, but they're, they're the ones that are most exposed to the environment. Um, and so you begin to, to, to be affected that way uh, initially. And so uh, they're, they're noticing that that's some of the uh, some of the issues uh, are, are neurotropic in nature. And so uh, we're, we're seeing those impacts because Parkinson's is all about the loss of one particular chemical, which is uh, dopamine. And right. our replacement drug for that is called levodopa. And so if right. you when you think of Michael J. Fox and when you see him, uh, you know, sort of jerking around, most of the time, that's dyskinesia and not tremor. Uh, right. And it, it, actually, the dyskinesia most people would prefer over the tremor because the tremor is less predictable and, and, and less comfortable. Where the where the dyskinesia will come and, and go, come and go over you know as your as your uh, levodopa is not sort of it's not specific enough in the brain, so it overloads the brain at certain times, and so it's got to go somewhere. So it ends up you know you end up dancing you know against your will. Uh, but it's for a limited time. Like, you know, it, like, well, I, had my, my, I guess my worst dyskinesia episode was about an hour long. So you lose a lot of weight, too. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it's a good diet. Let's get this, God forbid. So it, this, is, it, is it more pronounced? So, what is, so I guess what I'm trying to get here is people are, are, are patients that are, that are dealing with um, um, uh, Parkinson's, are, like, for example, are you vaccinated? And are, yeah, are patients double, with... Double vaccinated. Double vax and and any um, any extended dyskinesia with the from the vaccine itself in your experience? No, not in my experience. But you know, I suppose it depends on which vax you got and what what's in it. Usually, it's an overload of some sort of chemical in your brain, one of the chemicals in your brain that need to go somewhere right. else. Dyskinesia uh, just is a sign of burning off some sort of uh, one of those happy chemicals or one of those you know, chemicals that you needed for communication throughout your body. Got you. So it's someone, one would say then a side effect perhaps of the medication. It could be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not a scientist, so it's hard for me to say for sure. Uh, but what I would say is that it's not, you know, it, it's not a sign that things are getting worse. It's a sign that the medicine works. Got you. Um, Speaking of medicines that work, um, some great talks around um, brain stimulation therapy. Uh, you know, what, what can yeah. you share there? I know it's something that uh, you've been talking about through PD Avengers. What's um, where are we at with that? Is it is it promising in terms of the future? Well, so the deep brain stimulation has been around for a couple of decades, but it continues to evolve with with uh, iterations of what it can be through you know technology and. Uh, you know, even like over in um, Spain, they they do they have robots conduct the surgery now to precise measurements. Um, wow! But 
Yeah. So here uh, in Canada, there's a you know there's there, uh, there's a lot of deep brain stimulation happening in Toronto. They're doing a lot of uh, you know not experiments per se, but they're using new technology uh, and implanting new technology. So what it is is they they implant you know it, most of the times is they do both sides of the brain. They can do just one side of the brain, uh, and they find a, a specific point in your brain. Usually it's uh, near or at the center blackest part of your brain called the, the, uh, the substantia Niagara, which is where our dopamine brain cells are dying. Uh, and what they're trying to do is stimulate it electronically to, to keep it active and to uh, keep it, trick the brain into believing that there's more dopamine than there is. Uh, and then it's connected to what appears to be like a pacemaker uh, that's, that's surgically implanted into your chest, in which, you can, which I could control with my phone. And I can move it up or down depending on how, if I need more or less. Um, is this some, Is this a surgery that you've had? No, I've not had it, but I'm in line for it. Um, and it, uh, it's in British Columbia. There's like a four year wait because there's really one doctor that does it. One surgeon that is is doing them right now. Um, why don't, why don't we hook you up with somebody in Ontario that can do it for you? Then we we'll go go find well, somebody. Well, you know, well, sure, that, that's possible. But the problem is the provinces don't always. Uh, communicate oh, right, well right, with each right. other and play nice right. in those sandbox. Right. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, but it, it is, what it does, it doesn't help, it doesn't cure Parkinson's. Uh, there is no cure for Parkinson's, but what it does is address some of the, the key uh, symptoms, most, most annoying symptoms. And it also reduces the amount of medication you, you need to take. So like right now I'm taking about 20 pills a day. You know, I take pills every two and a half hours in order to live a normal, somewhat normal life. Um, well, that's a lot. Uh, and then, so yeah. what they, what, if I have deep brain stimulation, I may be down to one or two pills a day or none. Let me ask you something. What, uh, when you look at your life and you sit back and look at the future and you've got, you know, young family and you're a young man yourself, um, you know, when you look at it, what I, 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 there's so many great things that we could be sharing about what we see through PD Avengers and the stories that people are sharing. And the fact that people are actually sharing their stories is the remarkable part of the situation. Uh, we got only got a minute or so left, buddy, before we got to close it down for tonight. But, um, what, what keeps you going? What, what kind of, you know, what's the, what's that happy place you find where you think that there's, or you, you have a vision of a better day for you? Well, I don't, uh, it's not necessarily for me. It's for the next generation. Uh, people have been suffering with Parkinson's for over 200 years. Uh, and ALS and, uh, and MS are not far behind. ALS and MS were, were discovered by the same scientists who named Parkinson's disease Parkinson's uh, posthumously of Dr. James Parkinson's. So there's one guy at the center of all those, you know, one neurologist neurologi in France in the late 1800s put them all together. Uh, I think it's going to take uh, uh, all of us coming together uh, and demanding change in the way that our diseases are seen and treated. Uh, and and you know, there's a billion people in the world right now suffering from neurological conditions, a billion with a B. Uh, wow. And uh, it's not it's not taken seriously enough. Well, fortunately, we have the ability to share on radio, you and I, and uh, 
maybe there's more people out there that'll take it a little more seriously today than they did yesterday. Now, Larry Gifford, he's uh, our national uh, programming guy at uh, Talk Radio for Course. He's also my friend. He's also the founder of PD Avengers, and he's someone who deals with Parkinson's, I think, in the brightest, most positive way that uh, that you can with uh, with positive thoughts of the future. Larry, I wish you well. I uh, hope to talk to you before the holidays. If not, I hope you and your family have a safe and healthy holiday, and I continue to be inspired by the work you do and hope others will as well. You can all become a PD Avenger. Just go and search PD Avengers, sign up, send them a little money once in a while if you can. That's not a bad thing either. But more importantly, your support is what we're looking for. Uh, this is Yona Bud. I hope you've enjoyed your trip today on the road to recovery. We've had a lot of fun with you. Uh, I'd like to hear how you feel. Give us a call uh, sometime uh, during the week at uh, 877-777-5808 or send me a note, road to recovery at 640toronto.com. And next week we're going to do some different stuff, but same, you know, same kind of thing, right? Get on this bus. We're going to get through this road to recovery together. doesn't matter how long it takes. We're here to do it week after week after week until we can help you with whatever is bothering you or whatever concerns you have, or maybe something you can help me help others with. That's really what this is about. Have an incredible week. Remember, love the one you're with. Give them a hug or a kiss. It's nice to say thank you and I love you. And uh, just be nice to one another, right? That's going to make all the difference in the world. Have an amazing week. Enjoy the snow. And uh, we'll be back at it next Saturday night at 9 o'clock. Thank you so much. Yona Bud. 640 Toronto.